Let's talk about a story that caught my eye, and I think it had a lot of tongues wagging. It's the fact that the National Bank Open is going on right now in two cities. We are lucky enough to be hosting the ladies. Let's hear it for the ladies. A lot of people were pretty excited about the fact that Serena Williams um, announced just before playing in uh, the Open that she would be stepping away from tennis after the U.S. Open, and people were scrambling for tickets. Everyone wanted to see Serena play her last competitive match on Canadian soil. It was a pretty big deal. And in uh, Montreal, they have the men's tournament. This is really a bit of a sucker punch, though. For everybody that was really excited about the, the excitement and the draw as far as ticket sales, people scrambling to get tickets to see Serena Williams play, we found out via the Toronto Star today that the male winner of the 2022 National Bank Open takes home as much as twice as much as female champions. To talk about why and why there's just this pay inequity going on in elite sport, Moisha Lander is an expert in the economics of sport from Concordia University. Welcome to the show. So were you aware of the fact that uh, women make less, almost half as much uh, when it comes to the championship of the National Bank Cup as men? Sad to say, I was aware of it, and I can list an entire set of tournaments that have similar sorts of uh, pay inequity. So it's something that's very pervasive, not just in tennis, but in golf as well. And a lot of individual sports, you'll find the same sort of thing happening. But why does this pay gap occur? Because arguably, the women are just as good in this sport as the men. Yeah, tennis is interesting, right? Because you mentioned Serena Williams, and I think that if we press any casual tennis fan to start naming players, she's going to top the list, probably even about the, the male players. The, the problem that they have is the media rights are so uh, distorted towards the men, and the media rights are what provide a lot of the purse. So months in advance before we even knew Serena would be here, let alone she'd be announcing it's her last major competition before the U.S. Open and retirement, uh, you see the media rights is going to determine how much the purse is, and then the pay for the winner is proportional to what the purse is. So, Okay, you and I might know what media rights are, but the average person listening might be thinking, media rights, what the heck are they? Can you maybe break down what the media rights are and why they dictate that uh, the men would get paid more than women? Absolutely. So you're going to put tennis on all kinds of channels around the world. Tennis is a global sport. Uh, you're basically going to have people who say, I'm going to give the tennis tour X million dollars for the ability to broadcast those games in my home country. And so uh, for each of those uh, rights deals that they sell, this generates money for the tours. And so based on when the tournaments are and based on how long they are, one week in length, 10 days, 14 days, that's going to determine then how much money is available to the various participants, and that's determined by where they finish, right? So you can't just go to Serena Williams and say, I'll give you a $1 million appearance fee. It's that if you go out in the first round, you're going to get the same pay as anybody else who goes in the first round in the women's draw. But if you get all the way to the final, then you get a much bigger pay. Unfortunately, around the world, more people want to watch the men's game than the women's game. And so for that reason, you see networks bid a lot more money for the rights to broadcast the men's game, and that generates bigger purses, bigger payouts for the winner. Okay, so this is a problem with us, the fans, really, at the end of the day? Yeah, I mean, essentially, um, and it's not a Canadian thing, right? So it's not just the Canadian media deal that's the issue. It's around the world at how that 
that tournament is being broadcast to all countries around the world. And again, I said if anybody is a casual fan, they know Serena Williams, but they probably know Novak Djokovic, uh, Rafa Nadal, uh, Roger Federer. And so the name recognition on the men's side, unfortunately, is a little bit weightier. And so again, months in advance, we don't know who's going to be playing in Toronto and Montreal. So if the presumption is that Mm -hmm. one of those big three men, as opposed to the only big woman, it's going to constantly be creating this disparity. How much does bad behavior uh, play into the the picture of notoriety and uh, and then, you know, people becoming familiar with the characters that play? There's a certain extent to it. I mean, the thing is, though, that Serena Williams has had her run-ins as well with the media and with some bad behavior with umpires and things like that. Novak Djokovic has been very much in the news about his stance on COVID, even hosting tournaments during lockdowns and things like that. Um, I don't know necessarily that... Uh, being the bad boy or the bad girl of tennis is going to generate more purse interest. Um, you know, I, I don't think that John McEnroe uh, has has outlived his bad behavior, uh, but the fact is he's made a very good career uh, being a broadcaster. So, you know, it, it's part of the story, but I don't know that mm-hmm. that's going to justify huge pay disparity. You know, you were talking about the fact that this pay disparity uh, exists because of broadcast rights, but at Wimbledon, the big, arguably the biggest tennis match, men and women, uh, they both win the same purse amount. And that's a great point, Kelly. The the Wimbledon and the other majors where they do have pay equality, first of all, it wasn't always like that, and it's only recently that they've all kind of converged on that idea. Uh, but part of it, too, is that the men and women are all at the same location, right? Part of the problem that we have in Canada is that because Toronto and Montreal both want to hold events, and both of them, unfortunately, can't both hold events for the men's draw or the women's draw, they've had this tradition of splitting it where one's in Toronto and one's in Montreal. Uh, If we had all of the men and women together in Toronto at the same time, it makes it a lot easier to say for anybody who wants to broadcast the the game or the, the tennis matches, Everybody's here, so you got to pay everybody equally. But when we split them off like that so that both cities have a claim to a major tennis event, we're actually maybe harming ourselves in a way that doesn't quite happen in, in some of the other big-time events. So is this an infrastructure problem as well? Because it seems like there's a couple of factors here. It could be. It could also be the way that the two different tennis tours are run. And so the way that you know points are allocated, that if you play in a major tournament, what determines your ranking, at least in part, is how you do in these big-time tournaments. The men's tournament in Canada is considered a big-time event. It's just a level below Wimbledon, the French Open, Australian, and U.S. Open. Uh, but the women's event is considered, let's say, more like a third-tier event instead of a second-tier event. And so here, too, we have a problem that... In these events, the women aren't as likely to want to come to Canada as the men are. And again, it just generates that entire idea that if this is a bigger event for the men than it is for the women, there's more likely to see the big-time men coming than the big-time women, which means the media rights go more for the men's game than the women. And again, we have the entire disparity issue coming up again. So, Moisha, how do we equal things out? Because this cannot last uh, too long. We're evolving. We're changing. Pay equity is a hot topic. Yeah, I I think that the easiest thing to do is to say that we're going to alternate years where one year the entire event is going to be in Toronto and the entire event is going to be in Montreal and we just alternate years. Uh, The other thing, too, is that I think that both uh, sponsors of the event in Toronto and Montreal need to go to the respective tours and say the timing's just off a little bit, right? We're two weeks out from the beginning of the U.S. Open. And so while some players might use it as a tune-up match, there are other players who are saying, I'm just going to sit this one out 
uh, and try and make sure that I'm well-rested for the big-time event in New York. And so if this event were shifted to a different time of the year, I mean, there's a limited amount of time in Canada, but if we were to say we're going to have this big-time event, say, uh, halfway between Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, which maybe puts it maybe a couple of weeks ago, um, that might be an easier sell then to get the big-time men and women's players to come all to Toronto or all to Montreal uh, and have a big two-week event instead of two one-week events split around. Sure. In any way you put this, this is all about money, whether you're talking about the sponsor or the, uh, the, the group putting on the event or the purse money. It's, it all comes down to money. So money talks. We'll see what happens uh, in the near future. But Moisha, uh, great talking to you again. I really appreciate your insight into this. Anytime. Have a great day. Moisha Lander is an expert in the economics of sports from Concordia University and friend of the Kelly Cutrera Show.